Welcome, everyone. Oh, man. Hold on. Dang. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's so crazy. That's so crazy. Uh, that's our. That, I take back everything I said. Didn't feel like it. What? This is uh. Hey, Seth. How are you doing? This is uh. uh our our good friend Seth, Seth. Bonhouse. He's the. <laughs> Just hear me. Listen, he's, listen. He's listen. The I didn't on, watch let me, it. Let me explain. Hold on. Let me let me give a rundown so people know who this that is. This is our good friend Seth Spawnhouse. He is the executive director of the Community Theater League in Williamsport. So we've Cheney and I have done productions with him and things. So now there was a concert hosted by CTL last night. Who when Cheney's fiance was in. It's because I saw I, I was so, there you when know, she was he was supposed to pull up and watch it, but uh, you know. <laughs> Just for context, for context. Oh, man. All right, let's let's get the episode started. Here we go. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Afro-Latinos. This is your co-host, Alvin. And Chandler. And here we are. We're back with another live episode. This is super exciting. I kind of like the I like the interactivity. I like that Seth can rag on Cheney again. It's just a great time. Anytime that anyone gets on Cheney, I, I, I'm having a great day. So uh, we appreciate you guys for pulling up. On this episode, we have a very special guest. His name is Dwayne Graves. He happens to be my uncle, um, but he's the man. He's an all-around great guy. Um, and so, uh, Dwayne, thank you for being on the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Both of you guys are really appreciated. Anytime. So, uh, this this episode comes from a series that we're that we're doing this uh, February for Black History Month. Uh, which features different um, experts in their field um, to share their experiences and kind of their their thoughts and feelings about a number of topics. So last week um, we had uh, Dr. Sorrell Pickering and Dr. Kristen Austin, um, two phenomenal educators who uh, joined us for a conversation focused on race in the field of education. Um, so that was a really fun episode. We have some really cool episodes for the, la- the last two weeks of February also. Uh, and so on this episode, uh, we decided to have uh, my uncle Dwayne on the episode to talk about uh, his experiences in the military. So, Dwayne, give us a little bit about of your background, where you come from, you know, originally where you come from, and then kind of your background, and we'll just see where the conversation takes us. So, originally, um, I'm a South Jer- Jersey boy, born and raised. Um, spent my high school teenage years in Jersey. Um, went to college for a year in New Jersey, and then decided to join the military. Um, after that, I spent 17 and a half years in the military, traveling around the world, traveling around the globe, and ended up here in the Maryland area. Um, so, yeah, growing up in South Jersey, big time uh, Philadelphia Eagles fan, Philly all day, every day, all sports, Flyers, Sixers, Phillies. Um, so just, that's my background. Um, since leaving the military, done a bunch of different things. I work for a government contractor today. And additionally, uh, for a long period of time, eight years, I owned a fitness community or a business in fitness, CrossFit to be exact. Man, a jack of all trades, as they say, this man does a little bit of everything. Uh, so can you, can you tell us, um, what drew you originally to the military? Why was that the draw for you? What, what, what kind of led you in that direction? If you, if you can. Uh, failed two semesters in college. Hey, you know what? I hear that'll do it. Uh, just, uh, told, told, 
totally transparent. Um, you, you know, I'm going to bring it raw and real. So um, that's one of the things that pretty much I went to school for a year, um, just really didn't fit, just really didn't sit well after that high school years. Uh, so decided, you know, one day to go to a recruiter. A friend of mine told me about a recruiter. Um, always, you know, pretty disciplined person, but that year of college just really threw me off. So with that being said, um, decided to sign up. Um, three months later, um, I was on the boot, boot camp in Great Lakes, just outside of Chicago. Um, so, yeah, that's what drew me to it. It was a year of just really failing myself and my parents, and I really was like, okay, I have to redeem myself. Wow. Hey, Erica, thanks for pulling up. Erica says hi, Dwayne. Hi, Erica. So, uh, so failing your first, is it your first year? You said your first two semesters kind of yeah, just first two semesters. Kinda... Um, I can tell you how many credits I got in those first two, but, uh, it's a little too much. Information. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't need to share. We don't need to share all that. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, was right. A bad two, it was a bad two semesters, just to be honest. And, um, just show my parents that card and they were, um, they were disappointed. They didn't really want me to join the military, but it was my way to redeem myself. Well, there you go. And so um, talk to us a little bit about uh, what it was like for you, a, a South Jersey boy coming in and, and being, I mean, I don't know much about Jersey. I don't know much about, I don't know much about the military at all, but what was it like kind of like your, your boot camp experience? And then, you know, where were you first stationed? Kind of how, how did that all go for you? And, and what was it like being away from your family in Jersey for all that time? Kind of, you know, what was that like for you? Really good question. The reason why um, prior to joining the military and going to boot camp, I think maybe four to five other locations than Jersey. I'm talking about New York, Philadelphia, Florida, D.C., where, you know, and they were high school trips, maybe a vacation, a mini vacation by my parents. South Jersey is a little bit different than North Jersey, a little bit more country atmosphere, at least where I grew up. And as part of that, we're closer to Philadelphia. So we had the Philly vibe versus the up north New York vibe. I was so about to ask little, that. A little bit different. Um, so for me, um, you know, going to Great Lakes, just in boot camp in general, when you get there, not too many people from up north. Um, there's a lot of people I met from down south in boot camp. Um, so you're, you're hearing the different um, – you know, slang, the different terminology that we use. It was just different. I was learning a lot about myself through boot camp. And then also on top of that is really regimented and disciplined. So we spent, um, supposed to be eight weeks, but we spent nine because I was on a delayed program waiting on another class to come in. So as we piled up the 75 to 80 some people that we're going to have in our boot camp class. Uh, so it was challenging. Um, a lot of learning to do. I mean, learn when to speak, when not to speak. Uh, you know, discipline, uh, you know, folding clothes from marching to uh, the gallery, you know, going to grab something to eat, marching back and forth, not getting to talk to your family for three to four weeks. Um, we didn't have any really phone privileges for the first couple of weeks of the boot camp um, time frame. So after that, um, I went to a school right there in Great Lakes because I went in undesignated, meaning um, didn't know what I wanted to do in the military really didn't know. Um, so there's this program that you could at that point in time go in for three years and you can pick your job right out of boot camp if you went to a school or you graduated at a certain level. So I stayed there, um, went to, um, which is apprenticeship training, and I learned how to be a plane captain of F-14s. So 
it was it was amazing experience so as a, you know undesignated i was like okay plane captain this this kind of works i can still pick out when i go out to the field i can pick what i want to do uh so went to a couple months of training there and it was it was great when i when i learned that we then i went to miramar california and we were training out of miramar california for a couple of weeks building on that f14 experience um, and then they have you select what we call a dream sheet. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to select East Coast. Norfolk is a huge Navy community. Guess what? They sent me Far East to Japan. So I went to Japan and it changed my life. So I spent four and a half, four, just a little bit over four years in Japan. Um, while I was in Japan, majority of it was out to sea. Uh, we were doing desert thrust at that point in time, catching up on desert storm on the back end of it. Um, so a lot of routine trips. Um, I was on a aircraft carrier. Um, and as part of being on that aircraft carrier, we were deployed 24 seven out of Japan. Anytime there was something going on out in, out in the Gulf, we were the first ship to go. Cause we were the closest ones to get there. You're not sending anyone from San Diego. You're not sending anyone from Norfolk. You're sending them from Japan to the Gulf. Um, so spent a lot of time out to sea, but it was the greatest gift I could ever have. I, Got to see the, I got to see all of Asia, got to see all the Middle East, and it really just set me up for the job that I have today. So it, it was great. It was a great experience. A lot of time spent with a lot of good people, um, meeting a lot of people that I would have never met if I hadn't joined the military. And going back to my point earlier, um, South Jersey boy, going to four to five different state locations, and now seeing the whole world at by the age of like 23, that was amazing to me. Wow. That, that's, that, I mean, this is, it, it's always crazy having, um, having family members on. Cause like, even with pop a couple weeks ago, I had my grandfather on, on the show and I'm learning things that, you know, I've grown up with you all my entire life and just never gotten that chance to, to talk and to hear those stories. And so that's so interesting. I had no idea you were a, a flight captain or a flight captain in training. I had no idea that, that even all of these experiences that you had, um, so what what would you say? I know you said that Japan was kind of a transformative um, destination for you, and probably would you say that was your favorite place that you were deployed or stationed in? I would say, yeah. It's funny because people say you lived in Japan, so why would you select Japan as your favorite place? But it really defined my culture. You've seen, you've been to my house before. Um, the Japanese culture is a part of my daily lifestyle, everything around my house. So when you walk through the door and feeling comfortable and actually taking off your shoes and feeling like your family, regardless of who you are, is it defined me. Um, And I didn't get to spend much time there. I say out of the four years, two months and 15 days that I was in overseas in Japan, I only spent like, you know, pretty much like a year or so on the ground in Japan. So it was like, you know, I was overseas for a long mm-hmm. time, but most of it was either on a ship or in a different foreign location. Um, but the times that we came back um, at that age, we partied a lot. Right. So so when we were back, we partied. I mean, we spent a lot of time in the city, uh, meaning Tokyo, um, and it was just a great atmosphere. Um, it was just learning life at a young age and and being an adult. I didn't know that. I mean, I had my parents to the age of like 19 and a half and joined the military close to 20 and was overseas experiencing the world. That's not just wasn't an easy thing for me, but there was a lot of people in the military. Everybody comes together from whatever background you have to teach you the ropes. And that was a blessing. So answer your question, Japan 
most definitely is my favorite place if if I were to actually state one location. There's multiple Asian Asia as a region most definitely is the best. I I feel like I am just not built for it. I don't think I would be able to make it. Uh, Cheney, Cheney, do you think you could do it? Like, I, I'm just thinking, like, my entire life, and I've seen friends and people go into the military, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's been a bit. And I'm like, listen, bro, I'm going to be real. I'm not built for it. I don't think. And even Erica, you're, you know, her, Kayla, is she's in uh, a branch of the service. And I'm like, bro, I don't. I, I, it, I think it would just be too much of a big adjustment for me to have to. And I'm such a family person and like close with people. I don't think I could do it. Although I know, you know, you build a whole family while you're there, but it's just different. Cheney, how you feel? No, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> I, couldn't, I don't think so. I, I, I seem like, I, I don't think so. I don't think I can. I've even, I've, I even barely survived my first year of college with a roommate. Like I can't, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, and it was him and me, and we had our own bathroom in the room and stuff. And I still barely survived that, so I I don't know how I would survive with the whole crew of people and and on a ship. Can you can you tell me? Uh, so you served in the navy, and so in my head, that's you know you're you're on a ship for the majority of your time in the service. I feel like I would go. I mean, I was on a cruise for for ten days or however long we were on the cruise, and I'm sea legs and nervous and all kinds of stuff just being on the boat how big of a transformation and adjustment was that part of of that journey for you very hard because when i first got there the ship was out to sea so i said i went to san diego for that you know training and then i got there and everybody was out to sea already so what we call that is beach that you either stay behind for the time that the ship is out to sea or you fly out to sea. So I was lucky enough on at least that first cruise to stay back. Um, but there's two different parts of an aircraft carrier. There's ship's company, which means you live on air 24 seven. And when you we come in the port, you're still on the ship, but you get to go off the ship. I was part of the air wing. So we were F-14s. Um, so we were probably about an hour away from um, Yokosuka, Japan which was in Asugi, Japan. So I didn't really know better, right? I just knew I was going to go to a ship, but I didn't really have the, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't, mm-hmm. I really didn't. So I remember that day they, they take you down in buses um, and you have your, you have your sea bag and everything. And it was my first cruise and everybody was trying to prep us like the new guys for it. And, you know, you get on that ship and you're in a, you're in a coffin locker, which or a boat, you're in a coffin locker where you sleep and you're kind of, um, underneath you is where you stow all your clothes and everything like mm-hmm. that. And you're either in a bottom rack, mid rack, or top rack. Um, bottom rack, you get to kind of roll into. Uh, top rack, you have to climb up to. Uh, lower rack is kind of good because you just roll out of the bed and roll on the floor if you want <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you head on out. But it was just weird because you're stacked in these little areas and you're kind of running through. And then you didn't get, you got to get used to once you go out to sea and once we, we go out to port. Um, it was challenging. It's like, okay, I got to get my sea legs. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, being a plane captain for the first year and a half out to sea, um, I now got to learn the flight deck dynamics. So if you ever seen any movies with a aircraft carrier being Top Gun being the most popular, you see all of that movement on a flight deck, right? That movement on a flight deck is not something for people that feel you know, last days you got to go up there and keep your head on a swivel. You got to mm. protect yourself and you got to protect others. 
And that was the challenging part. So it wasn't just getting used to the boat deploying and my sea legs. It was getting used to protecting and seeing other people in the daytime and at night and making sure everything is safe and sound. So it was a, it was a learned experience. Um, and, you, and you get all of that responsibility at the age, you know, for some of us, 18, 19, 20, 21, and you learn and, and you're like, okay, I'm responsible for getting this jet prepped for a pilot to take this thing off this flight deck and then land it back on this flight deck, you know, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. So what Wait, was your you speak? Go ahead. Go ahead. question? Um, so I'm assuming you're on the boat for a long time, right? Yes. While you're traveling, has the ocean ever gone like bad? Like, has there ever been, ever been like, you know, on the boat, you know, big waves or something like the ocean just, you know what I mean? Has that ever happened? Yeah, not like the movie The Perfect Storm or Whoa. anything where the boat is actually, you know, planking up or whatever. But yes, um, you know, we cannot, depending on the winds, depending on the sea, we cannot even fly aircraft off of aircraft carrier. I mean, um, the small boys like the frigate frigates and the destroyers like the small ships i mean they fight that they fight that weather for an aircraft carrier a little bit bigger you're talking about you know long you know football field couple football field long um ship it kind of stays a little bit steadier um mm. some of the best sleep you will ever have in your life um but <laughs> at the at the same time it takes some time to get used to um but yes bad weather out there in some days. And and on those days, what you have to do, you have to tie down the aircraft, tie down any kind of equipment. Um, so there's these little tie-down straps that we tie everything down with. So what was your uh, your primary responsibility as a, flight as a flight captain? So you weren't flying the planes, right? You weren't a pilot, but you were... What was your primary responsibility? Always prep the jet. So, so what it was to prep the jet and prepare it for startup. So if you ever just watch the movie with aircraft carriers, you have to prepare the jet. When the, when the pilot comes out, you pretty much salute them and walk them around. You're your pilot's best friend at that point in time. You're making sure that they're safe and sound. So nothing in the intake ducts of the aircraft, making sure all the panels are closed, make sure everything is locked and ready. Um, making sure once they get into the plane, you're helping to walk them through the steps, starting a port engine, starting a starboard engine, different things of that nature. Um, they're up there doing the work. You're up there signaling them that every movement is safe. So once you start signaling engines to prep, um, you want to make sure the engine lights up if it because it can light up or it can cause a fire. So you have to actually make sure that everything is running right and going right. After that, you pass it off to the next person to launch the jet off the aircraft carrier. Um, so that's how it worked. And when we're back on land, same thing. The difference is you're not you're not flying off an aircraft carrier. You're flying off land. Uh, but yeah, it's really about prepping and actually starting the jet with the most definitely the support of the pilot. The pilot is the one that does the work, triggers the engines, but you're signaling them through the process. Wow. And Eric has, has a question. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up in a second because that is kind of the focal point of the episode. Um, but I I want to know before we get to that that part to the real heavy stuff. I'm just really interested in your in your experience as a whole and like what you did because, like I said at the beginning, like 
I know I don't belong in the military, and so it's not something I've ever really thought about or or went out of my way to research about. And so, like, what were so you were you were active duty, yes. and so you said that you guys your in your carrier you guys were like the first response. And so, were you? Uh, did you ever experience active um, contact with with an enemy? Like, I don't know if that question makes sense. Were you yeah. actually like active fighting in 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 a battle? So Tyler, actually, going back to your overall point about being ready to go in the military, in speaking to different recruiters, the recruiter said to me when he said, he said, you don't want to be on the field of battle. He said, the, be- the, the blessing of a ship is you're far away from the contact, right? So we're miles and miles out. So the pilots really did the work. Um, from a ship standpoint, I mean, we can we can launch weapons pretty far. Um, and most of the time, the times I seen combat was actually aircraft going out and praying that they made it back versus launching from ship purposes. So I've never been in that level of combat where we're launching directly from the ship, which we could do as an aircraft carrier. Um, but it was more on the pilots. We had multiple different um planes on our aircraft we had helicopters we had f f-14s we have f you know 35s we had it pretty much all um so we had you know the opportunity to you know heavy armory but most of it was aircraft so answer your question no physically personally for myself but yes i felt comfortable that launching that jet that was going to take care of the mission mm. i felt pride in that return nice all right uh, Cheney, any other questions just about uh, military experiences, things? I have one more, but I just wanted to know if if you would let, uh, if you had anything else, Cheney. Um, no. I didn't think so. I'm pretty sure that's what you're going to say. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> we've talked about um, your favorite experiences. So you talked about uh, Japan being one of your favorite you know locations and the one that was the biggest transformation um but if you're if you're willing to share what was one of your least favorite places to be deployed or to be stationed and why it's mm. a good question looking back on it maybe at the time i struggled with a particular location but it's what rounds me out today i think is what grounds me so i'm just trying to think i mean can't even think of a place. I mean, if you, if you think of places that I've been, I've been, you know, to some some places, I'll say like Guam. I've been to places like Iwo Jima. I mean, just little highlands. I've been, mm-hmm. I've been to Malaysia, Thailand. I, I don't want to say them. I don't have really a spot. I think they've all kind of shaped me in some kind of way to this point. At the time, it, the funny part about it, you're talking about the place, I probably would have said Japan back then hmm. because I wasn't there enough. And then after leaving, I reflected that it was, it was the greatest place I could actually be. It was the wow. place that kind of led me to where I'm at today. So for that time that I was overseas, and again, I was only overseas for a little bit over four years and then spent another 17 and a half in back in this location in Maryland and additionally some time at, in the reserve. So I, I can't say that was a bad place. Interesting. All right. And I think the the crux of, thank you for sharing. Um, I think the crux of the episode in what we really want to know and and kind of the purpose 
of this exploration and this conversation, um, Erika brought up uh, this question. Did you feel that you have ever experienced racism, either, um, you know, a, a what's the word I'm looking for, an overt uh, form of oppression or overt form of racism or even covert feelings? And it's just, you know, did you ever feel that that there was some experiences of racism towards you or in general towards other people, either um, you uh, towards you? Or maybe in places that you were, you experienced some types of racism from the service people to the uh, natives of whatever land you were in. I don't know if that if that makes sense, but kind of just your experiences with race and racism as you served in the military. Yeah, I think it's funny. Again, it really goes back to how I was raised. Um, when I first went to boot camp, it was it was hard. I mean, if you think about it, you're learning how to grow as a man at that point in time. And you're around 80 some other, other men and, and you're trying to figure out, you know, their backgrounds and um, you know, the accents that come along with it. A lot of people couldn't understand my used guys and anywheres at the time that I actually, actually stayed at a lot. Um, and, and then additionally on the other end, you know, the slang or, or accent that was used by someone from down South or West coast or wherever um, it was challenging. Um, through boot camp, I think there were times um, that that situation kind of evolved, right? Because I think we had a way back then, the military is totally different. I want to go on all the details of my boot camp days. But the way you settled anything at that point in time in boot camp was to go in the uh, laundry room. And you both come out and you drop it after you both come out of the laundry room. And that was just a different world we live in than... And that's how we grew um, as colleagues at that point in time, as, you know, sailors, we just dropped it after that. And it was like, that was a learning experience. Um, then you go on and have another, after that boot camp, then you go on and have another 17 years in the military. Throughout that time, going to other countries, yes, um, you'll see. I mean, being American, this large ship coming into port, um, it didn't matter what color we came off of that ship as we were, um, you know, we were Americans and that's right. part of that. That's the way it was seen. Um, so it, at times it was challenging in Japan, for instance, protest a lot of times at the gate um, of our facility. And then you got to imagine there was, you know, they don't want a military facility, a U.S. military facility at that time in the country. Um, and as part of that, there was ties protest there. When you go to other locations, um, again, you're American, you're coming in 5,000 on that time. Cause I was on the independence. There was 5,000 guys. It was, it was all male ship, 5,000 guys dropping into a port. You can imagine that we caused some challenges <laughs> and every time a new ship came in could cause some challenges. So in all fairness, I mean, um, we, we probably needed to, uh, you know, tone it down a little bit at times, mm -hmm. depending on the ship in each country too. <laughs> um, so Yes, I did experience it there, but I will tell you the most, where I experienced the most is after my four and a half years of being overseas and coming back to the U.S. Wow. So that's where I experienced the most. So you, you deal with that understanding that now everybody has hopefully matured and everybody's at their certain career status. So you have people that are three months in the military. You have people that are, you know, years and years in the military. And as part of that, you come back to the U.S. 
and you now have to integrate in a way that everybody now has opportunities. Um, and when you're in a country that you're isolated, everybody has to get along because mm -hmm. you're one team, it's one mission. But when you get back to the U.S. and you can travel to another state and different things like that, you now get influenced by the things you were raised by. Um, so thank God I had two great parents that kind of raised me in a way to understanding and openness to all. So for me, it was easy. Um, for others, it may be a little bit more challenging. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have um, on many occasions. Um, and I'm one of those people that brush it off and have an opportunity to tell you how I feel about those opportunities if, if, if we want to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, so be it. Mm -hmm. yeah. do, you, do you have any, that, any experiences that you'd be willing to share or, or that you feel were um, instrumental in your growth? As you said, you kind of took everything in stride and every experience you felt like was a, a point of growth and a point where you felt like you could um, learn and grow from, but were there any that really stick out to any specific um, events that you're willing to share or anything that you can think of that um, you would say really stick out to you as being something that you learned a, a life lesson from or something really important from? Absolutely. Again, I think this does go back to a little bit of the transition from the playing captain role into more of an administrative role in the military. I probably was like around 22 at the time. I transitioned off the flight deck. It was a little bit time for me to leave. They say when you feel comfortable on a flight deck, it's time for you to leave because mm. you're going to get someone hurt. Um, so I actually took on, now I decided what job I wanted in the military. And I wanted to be a personnelman at that point in time, which is personnel is kind of mobility of people and administration of people. Um, and, and there's, there's a kind of couple of shifts that you work on a boat and they're, they can be overlapping shifts, but most of the time they're anywhere from 12 hour days to 15 hour days, depending on what job you do. And, um, you know, I worked in the administration office at that point in time and there was, uh, just had left the, um, the line shack, which is where we, what we call the plane captain area. Um, and there was a lot going on. Um, one of my good friends, um, was leading, um, that area, um, as, as the senior plane captain. And you can see there was uh, a little bit of separation at that point in time. And I was only getting it, um, by word of mouth because I was actually no longer in the line shack, but all respected and loved me in there. And as part of that, it was one of those things for the first time in a long time since high school that racism was in the forefront. And, mm -hmm. Thankfully, um, a good friend of mine and myself understood we had the groundwork by our parents and being of coming from two different backgrounds as, as a white male and as a black male, we were able to at least reflect on those things and hopefully influence or we did influence. I felt like the rest of the line chat to actually kind of fall into a nature where there's a certain level of respect because not having respect as a plane captain and actually going on a flight deck and competing and different things like that, again, can get people seriously hurt. Um, so that's what our goal was. Um, and, it, and it changed me because I thought that the military experience will allow us all through growth and understanding to come back to one belief. Mm. But society 
military is only a direct reflection of society. It's the sure. same. It can, it can change you for a period, but you got to be willing to keep that understanding with you each and every day when you come right. back, <laughs> when you come back to your hometown. And I think that's what happens. Once you start taking leaves and coming home, you start seeing that device of nature again. And that's what was causing, I think, that at that time. So it just allowed me to understand that, you know, as much as you have friends and family and different things like that, that have changed to be a little bit more understanding that that always needs a little bit of work and a little bit of tweaking and a little bit of grace um, hmm. each and every day. So that's um, that that kind of helped me. And that was probably, uh, yeah, like I was around 22. And from there, each and every day, I kind of live by that. It's like, okay, today we may be on the same page. Tomorrow we may be off. I'm going to try to work with you a little bit. At the same time, you know, some people are meant to be in your season. Some people are not. Right. So what was it like, um, the transition from having spent 14 of your formative life, 14 of your, your formative years of your life in the military to kind of transitioning back to being a civilian. And although you said, um, from the military, you went into, uh, working for a government contractor. So you were still, you know, working for the the government, but more, and I would imagine more of a civilian aspect. So what was that transition like for you into the the corporate world or into the 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 world of business or you know all of those transitions for you at that age and at that time what was that like for you as a as a young black male in america transitioning from you know that that togetherness that you felt in the military and and then i think you kind of just mentioned it but but more of trans uh moving on from the um military aspect into more of the civilian role what was that transformation like for you so i try to make that a little bit easier on myself so i did 10 years of active duty and i was getting out at that point in time to take on a different job than ultimately i took so at that point in time i wanted to be a police officer on the back end of my military experience um so i was already going through all the background checks and different things like that and knowing that um I was just wired a little bit differently, like I couldn't stop working. During my time that I was on terminal leave for separating from the military, I took a temporary contracting position. Um, and I was taking that temporary contracting position, it was only meant to fill two months of my life before I actually went into the police academy. Um, so with that, I decided during that couple months of contracting or that first month of contracting that this wasn't gonna work. I need to be a reservist. I need to have that kind of group of people that understand me around me. Um, and then I had a life change in event at that point in time too. That was very key to me to make sure at least my family, my daughter was in the best situation possible. Um, so I, I did the reserves before I actually went full time into another job. So I got out of active duty and running those parallel. I went to see a friend of mine, signed up for the reserve. So I only have a break in service by four days um, <laughs> just because of the fact that I knew I needed that. Then right. I was supposed to go to the police academy. And from there, the boss that I had from the contract position offered me an opportunity. And I was like, okay, no, I don't want that. I already know what I want to do. But in speaking to my father at the time, my father was like, you have all of these things, prioritize everything, come back to me with a list. So I took that list, pros and cons, decided to get rid of the uh, 
my, I guess my dream and my goal to be a police officer and decided to actually stay with the contractor. And ultimately 16 years later, I'm still with that contractor doing something similar to what I did in the military from a personnel standpoint, but I've only had two real jobs in my life and I'm thankful for both. You lived it. You've lived a life and a half. Some people don't even get, you know, that experience. But um, so I don't know how much you're able to share about your your current position. Um, but you know what what is that job like for you? You know, as you said, you you've had really two jobs in your life, um, and they've you've loved both of them. So so what are you able to share? What you do and kind of what that what that entails. So if you were to kind of break it down in simple form, it's international human resources. That's what we talk about a lot of times. The, the term that we use today, or at least for the last six years is global mobility. So getting people from here to there, really getting people overseas from one location to the next. So our team really supports, and we're global, um, for a government contractor where we get all of our engineers to a location, them and their family, their dogs, their cats, their furniture and everything, their immigration, their taxes taken care of while they're overseas. So it's it's very it's very important to me because most of these folks that I actually help deploy, my teams help deploy, are embedded sometimes with the military. Um, and additionally, you know, some of them have decent locations, some of them have not decent locations. And to make sure they're in the safest position and their families are safe and sound. Their kids are in school in the right way um, and they're protected is what I kind of do on a daily basis. Um, it's, it's exciting. I mean, I did that in a little bit in the, you know, in the military, too, um, mm -hmm. but it just transitioned so well here. Um, really, I feel like I'm still in the military because the people that are deploying most of the time are working for the government or the military in some kind of way. Interesting. Now. I have to ask just in you're more than welcome to say that you feel more comfortable not speaking of it. But uh, Sorrell last week, um, you know, he works in Maryland. He works around the D.C. area. Um, and so I being you know, having visited your house several times, you're 20 minutes right outside of D.C. Can you talk to the your feelings in your position, you know, as you said, working kind of in the government, I'm sure there's things you can say and things you can't say. And I know even military servicemen and women, you know, there are things you can and can't say, but kind of what has the, how have you felt during the political climate and the political uh, division and kind of that political aspect and, and how has it been being in that area in your position you know, how have you been able to navigate such a, a toxic environment, if you will, over the last, you know, however many years, decades, times, you know, we know that things have kind of been crazy in the political realm. And so what's that been like for you personally? How have you been dealing? Yeah, you mentioned something a little bit earlier, and I will answer that question, but um, about in military, there are things you can and cannot say. I think... Um, I think that old school nature of what you can and cannot say has slowly but surely tapered off, I would say. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, today's world is about what do you want to say? What do you want to stand for? Right. So if if you're willing to stand for a certain belief and equality for all, 
and, and togetherness and, and no device of nature, um, you'll say what you have to say. And I think from the blessing of my current job, um, they really focus they focus on a community, meaning our leadership in our organization, which we're a pretty big organization, um, focusing on opportunities to allow people to express themselves. Me, as also a leader in that corporation, do, does the same. I mean, after certain situations happened and, you know, last year, I, I was, first thing I did is shut down the work real quick. Let's Let's talk. Let's talk mm. as a community. If you feel open to talk about that, if not, my door is open to have those discussions. And I'm either here to listen or provide feedback. Going back to your overall point about politics, I say it all the time. I don't believe in politics. I'm meaning that I believe my parents raised me on what is right and what's wrong. So anytime I get an opportunity to say what is right and what's wrong, I'm going to speak to that. Um, and I'm not concerned at this time in my life, I guess at my age, um, to say, I think if you ask me again, going back to your point about in the military, I would have been afraid to say it. You would ask me in my fifth year at my job, I would have been afraid to say it. 10 mm. years, I would have been afraid to say it. 16 years and in my age, <laughs> I'm no longer <laughs> afraid to fight or support right. things that show you know, equality for all. And, and I will never stand for anybody that's going to speak otherwise towards that. And so for me, the last four years, four and a half years, even prior, I mean, there's, I mean, you think about it, all sure. of this has developed over the last pretty much 12 years. Mm -hmm. I don't think many people thought the opportunities that came about 12 years would ever happen. Um, 12 years ago, whatever happened. And right. I think that kind of changed the dynamic. It allowed people to feel free to express themselves on either mm -hmm. side of the house. And once you start expressing yourself on either side, someone has to sit back and listen. But I call it clicks and comments. I don't have enough time. Everybody wants to express themselves, but not listen. Mm. You now need to listen. And if you do disagree with the individual on the other side, I'm going to me personally, I'm going to say what I have to say, but I'm going to step back and continue to try to influence those that can be influenced, in, sure. at least in my beliefs, the right way. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of where we where we left the discussion last week was that, you know, for a lot of people that education and I, and I don't think that education, I truly don't believe that education is it has to be just a formal, uh, you know, being in a school, being in a university. I truly believe that learning as a concept can be done at every point in time. And whenever you are experiencing something new or have new, um, what's the word, uh, intake of information, you're learning. And I think that that education is so necessary for people. But part of that is that communication and being able to speak to one another and being able to listen to one another. And I think that is often uh, missing and in, in why we have so much divisiveness Oftentimes, because as you said, some people want to click and comment, but they don't want to listen. Um, and I think that 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 is a, one of the major issues that we often run into. Uh, there's a question here that I'm going to pull up for you. And, and you are, again, welcome to share your feelings however you would like to or however you feel comfortable.
Brian Johnson asked, can you speak to your feelings uh, regarding the January 6th assault on the Capitol? Mm. Thank you, brother. Um, very, very challenging time frame for me. Um, even preparing to talk about it right now, it actually brings a certain level of emotion. Um, sometimes it just feels unfair. So mm-hmm. it. So we, let's go back to George Floyd. Um, and let's talk about those circumstances, what the media brought about at that point in time. We talked about a lot of different things. There was a lot of beliefs on what good people of all different backgrounds were trying to do and pre- try to present. Um, and as part of that, a situation such as just what happened to the assault on the Capitol was just that, an assault. An assault that you can look at in a couple different ways. You can look at it from the perspective if everybody has their God-given right mm-hmm. <laughs> to do something, but then that flipped to a, a another group or another uh, dynamic could have been actually seen differently and would have been presented differently. So the assault was really, in my opinion, an assault. Um, those that actually attempted to take that position were in the wrong. Um, and justifiably, I mean, I think everything, any kind of prosecution that takes place is, is right. Um, now we will see, <laughs> we will see, um, yes, we will. But unfortunately, um, not everybody has that level of privilege. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess I'll leave with that, um, the level of privilege to be able to do that. I guarantee you there's two ways I look at myself. Some days I'm in a, in sweatsuits because I'm coaching a class. Some days I'm in a suit. Some days, you know, I'm, I'm just relaxing, depending on regardless of what I'm wearing on that day and whatever I look like a professional or not, depending on what day of the week, I would have never been seen to have that same opportunity to walk those steps. And that's how I see that. I agree. Um, Kenny, do you have any, anything you want to add? Any questions or anything right now? Okay. Um, Dwayne, is there, are there any other, you know, experiences, any of the thoughts about your time in the Navy or your time just in, in life that you would like to share? Um, anything that we, that you think we missed anything else? And Erica, I, I agree. Facts, facts, and more facts. But is there anything else that you wanted to share? And people who are watching on live, um, do you have any other questions for either us or for Dwayne? Feel free to, to pop them in here and we'll try to answer them to the best of our ability. From a military perspective, I think um, I think it's like I said earlier, it's the thing that grounded me. I think the thing that grounds me the most now is the family, um, you know, the diversity of my family. Um, as as I talk about 24 seven, that's very, very important to me. It sets the foundation for me each and every day. The experiences that I'm able to pass to my daughter or different things like that, the way I see her and her growth of all based on either my military experience or my family experience. And we're going through in, in many ways, difficult times where we're all trying to learn how to listen again. Um, and as part of that, I just say that continue to listen to others. Um, there's good people out there, um, all, all different backgrounds, 
that really want to do what is right, um, really want to be an ally to each other. And that's, that's just the most important part of it. All we have is ourselves until that day that we leave here. Um, and as meaning as a group of people um, doing the right thing. Um, and I think that is very, very important. It's just set this foundation for each new generation we raise. And if when I leave here, I hope I can leave that. Just continue to set the bar for an open, non-divisive society. I mean, especially we're going through some hard times right now with a pandemic, too. I've never in my lifetime expected to experience what we're experiencing right now. Um, but we're, we're going to make it through. Uh, no doubt about that. Agreed. Well, thank you so much, Dwayne. I think you have said a lot of things that are so important. And, you know, I, I just appreciate you for for coming on here and being willing to share your experiences and being able to share your story. Again, I love, especially when I get family members who I'm able to learn more from, um, but more so learning about experiences and, and viewpoints that I have not been able to experience for myself. Y'all never going to catch me in in the uh, in the military. It's just not going to happen. I am it, at this point in my life. I know where I am is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm good with that. And so you're never <laughs> you're never going to going to catch me there or in that field. And so I appreciate being able to have this conversation with someone who has lived it and who has been there. Um, and I think, as Lisa says, hi, Lisa. Um you know this your insights have been wonderful and i and i just appreciate you joining the show today thank you for having me both you guys i really appreciate it absolutely so now Dwayne, i'm gonna give you the opportunity this is your out if you want to take it uh we're gonna end this episode on on a high note we've talked about some heavy stuff but you know an important conversation nonetheless um but we want to get back to kind of our roots and our and how we start on the show uh we have a segment called you think you know which is a, a trivia portion of our show. And so I'm going to give you this opportunity because I know your feelings about trivia. Uh, if you would like to stay and join in this segment, you are absolutely more than welcome to. But if you need to go, you got to go. And so I will give you the opportunity now uh, to, to either stay or to leave. I'm going to stay. I'm thankful for you guys having me. And I want to see how Chandler does here. <laughs> Chandler, <laughs> you're on the hot seat, baby boy. All right. So... Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a segment that we like to call You Think You Know, which is a trivia game show. Uh, or really not a game show, but a trivia game where we take a topic and try and figure out how much the other person knows about that topic. Thinks uh, and they know about that topic. Think, thinks they know about that topic because as our previous episodes have shown, Neither of us know anything about anything. We don't know <laughs> <laughs> nothing. nothing. And so uh, the way that this works is uh, Cheney is going to have uh, 15 questions that I'm going to ask him. And during that 15 se- or, or during those 15 questions, he's going to have 30 seconds to answer each question. Uh, and in that 30 seconds, he is going to have to give me one answer. Whatever he gives us, his first answer is the only one that I'm going to take. Um, and so he has as much or as little time as he decides that he needs. And this week, Cheney, it is pretty fitting uh, because the, the you think you know topic for today is you think you know the Super Bowl. This past week, we 
Yeah, so. yeah it's great. It, it's going to be a lot of fun. So this this week we saw um, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady defeat the Kansas City Chiefs, which was unfortunate. I did not think it was going to happen. You know, Chaney and I had predicted last or two weeks ago that, that the Chiefs were going to win. We were wrong. Um, most importantly, in the matchup. I, yeah, I, I said that I would like for him to get a seventh, but did. I said they're probably going to lose. And I was completely wrong. Yes. Because they got we were both wrong. Well, I'll take the loss too. We were both wrong. Uh, but more importantly than that, our fantasy matchup, uh, if you were able to join our stream on Super Bowl now, Sunday. How do I leave before you finish? Um, you, <laughs> on a couple of episodes ago before the Super Bowl, Cheney and I drafted some teams and then we put our teams to the test and played each other in a game of Madden, which I won. Uh, you know, you had me contemplating we for a minute. didn't expect anything left. We, did, we didn't expect anything less, but I'm, you, know. <laughs> you won by one point. Like, hey, a up. win is a win. A win is a win. I don't care. You know, it, the, the, the record book shows one nothing in the Super Bowl matchup, Cheney. So that's, that's all that matters to me. And so it is fitting at the end of the Super Bowl week that I think, you know, we, we see how much Cheney knows about Super Bowl history. And so, uh, Cheney, each of these questions for you are going to be multiple choice questions, just so you're aware now. Um, let me get the countdown up on the screen. Are you ready for question number one? I am. And, Dwayne, you know, if if you do happen to know – you know, one of the one of the answer you can just private message, and uh, I'll look at it really quick. And <laughs> we'll do, we'll do. I got you're, you're, this is your this is your opportunity, Janie, to phone a friend. This we've never had a phone a friend option before, but if you'd like to phone a friend, if Dwayne thinks he knows the answer and wants to help you out, feel free to take it. I'm giving. I'm, I'm gonna give you that out. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool. So right now your score is zero out of fifteen. We got fifteen questions. Question number one starts right now. Uh, who is the youngest coach to win a Super Bowl? Is it Mike Tomlin, John Madden, John Gruden, or Joe Gibbs? We hear who it now. Oh, you you could hear it? Yeah. I didn't know if you could hear it or not, so I muted it. What was the first uh, choice? Mike Tomlin, John Madden, John Gruden, or Joe Gibbs? I'll say Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is the correct answer. He is the youngest coach to ever win a Super Bowl. Congratulations, Cheney. You are one for 15. Well, one for one, but, you know. Well, well, yeah. You know know what it is. You know how the game works. All right, question number two. (laughs) Shit. She sounds like Grio now. Answer, <laughs> Sherlin Force. <laughs> All right, here we go. Question number two. Cheney, which are the only teams to meet three times in the Super Bowl? Is it the Dolphins in Washington, which would be the Washington current Washington football team? So is it uh, Dolphins and Washington? Is it the 49ers and the Bengals, the Cowboys and the Steelers, or the Patriots and Giants? Well, that's not it. So I know that one. That was only that was only twice, and we lost both times. That's, um, that's a sad case. Um, the only teams to meet three times in this. Nothing, Dwayne. You know, you know anything? I don't want to phone you and waste it. You know. Ah, uh, this is a hard one. I think it's you know I would go with Steelers and Cowboys, but I, that's what I'm. Thinking. I was gonna say the same thing. I don't. I, I don't want to pull in Alvin. You know what? I'm gonna go with it. 
Shaylin also says C. And uh, you are all correct. That is the correct answer. It is the Cowboys and Steelers. Congratulations. I, I, did, I almost pulled an oven. I was like, it feels like it, so I'm going to go with it. Whatever. And, and Dwayne and all those who are still watching, pulling an oven means I always think I know the right answer. And then I change my mind and say something else. And then my original thought was always right. It, it, it happens every time we play. It, it, it's, it just, I, I second guess myself. I get a little nervous. And uh, so that's pulling an oven. So here we go. Question number three, Cheney. Uh, who is the only quarterback to be intercepted five times in the Super Bowl? Is it Donovan McNabb, Rich Gannon, Jim Kelly, or Kerry Collins? Who is the only quarterback to be intercepted five times in five the Super Bowl? Five times in the Super Bowl? Five five times times Sounds Donovan like McNabb, me in the regular Super Bowl. <laughs> and me too. I literally threw six in the last game. Donovan McNabb, Scannon, Jim Kelly, or Kerry Collins? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Kelly. Jim Kelly, famous quarterback from the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the correct answer is B. Rich Gannon. Mm. Oh, I wanted man. to disrespect you and say McNabb, but I, I was like, yeah. You know. Yeah, he only had one. He had one shot against the Patriots, and we would have won that game too, Janie. You would have been zero zero and three against the NFC East. Well, now you're you're oh anyway, zero uh, and four. It would be, I suppose. Um, but alas, Terrell Owens had to get injured, and it was just a whole. You know, it was a whole thing. So, all right, here we go. Question number. Four. Shaylin is commenting also that she's not cheating and she's getting the correct answers. Uh, so she, you know, Shaylin, thanks for playing. We we appreciate you holding it down over there. All right, question <laughs> number, question number four. Uh, Cheney, which quarterback owns the single game record for passer rating in a Super Bowl? Is it Russell Wilson, Troy Aikman, Matt Ryan, or Phil Sims? Do I get a phone a friend whenever? You can use it. He's here, so might as well use him. <laughs> might as well use him. Go ahead. What are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking Russell Wilson. You're thinking Russell? Yeah, I'm struggling with this, but I'm thinking Russell. I was five seconds. Go Russell. I'm going Russell. <clears throat> Russell Wilson. Wait, 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 wait. Before you, before you. Yes. So, okay. My original thought was Troy Aikman. Okay. Uh, but I. Uh, I was going with Russell Wilson. So, Shailen also says Russell Wilson. And unfortunately, no matter what any of you have said, you would have been wrong. The so correct even answer, Aikman was wrong. Yeah, even Aikman was wrong, yes. Cool. Uh, the correct answer is Phil Sims. Uh, question number five. You're still sitting. You were started off hot two for two, and now you're two for four. But here we go. This is your chance to, to get better, Cheney. You got this. We got this. Question number five. Which is, the, which is the only team with multiple Super Bowl wins with no losses in the Super Bowl? Is it the Ravens, the Saints, the Jets, or the Buccaneers? Most Super Bowl wins without a with loss. no losses. Never having a Super Bowl loss. Correct. 
Say that again. The choices. Is it the Ravens, the Saints, the Jets, or the Buccaneers? Well, the Jets, nothing. Never mind. Um, Five seconds. The Bucks. That is incorrect. Shaylin in the comments has the correct answer. It, was, it was the Ravens. The Ravens. I, I, the first thing I thought of was uh, when they played horrible Colin Kaepernick, and then like, and they won that because they were like whatever. But I didn't remember like any other ones. Yeah, that was the that was the year that Beyonce broke the Super Bowl. She was the halftime show when the lights cut out in the middle. Yeah. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, question number six. Which state has produced the most Super Bowl-winning quarterbacks by birth? So the quarterbacks didn't play for the team necessarily, but they were were born in the state. Yes. Is it California, Pennsylvania, Ohio, or Louisiana? California. Coming off quick, man. You you just that was it. You didn't have to think about it. You just just answer. I mean, it's your answer, so I got to go with it. But that was you didn't even have to think about it. Uh, and it's a good thing you didn't think about it because that is the correct answer. California is correct. And Tom Brady's from California, so oh, is he? I, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, he was born in Cali. So there you go. That makes sense. He's won so many, so he's just he's just him alone is pushing the statistic up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number seven. Among all Super Bowl champions, which team owned the worst regular season record? Is it the 2011 Giants, the 1980 Raiders, the 2012 Ravens, or the 2007 Giants? Hmm. Hello, Brianna. Hello. There are two Giants teams, yes. 2011 or twenty uh, or 2007. I believe both of those years they were um, playing the uh, playing the Patriots, weren't weren't they, Cheney? No, I don't think so. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Which team owned the worst regular season record? The 2011 Giants, the 1980 Raiders, the 2012 Ravens, or 2007 Giants? Raiders. Whatever. The what? The Raiders. The 1980 Raiders. Uh, I'm sorry to tell you that it's incorrect, my friend. Uh, the correct answer, I don't know if she has my iCloud and knows all of the answers, uh, but she's getting really good at guessing. Shaylin is correct. Uh, the 2011 Giants is the correct answer. Really? That is correct. I don't know what their record was, but apparently it was awful in the regular season. Uh, and somehow the they 16 and- No, it wasn't. Okay. Wait, was it 2007 was the- and 16-0 and season for us? Uh, I think that was 2007. Yeah. Okay. No, they were they were nine and seven. Yeah. And they won the Super. That's so crazy. I'm gonna, have to, uh, I'm gonna have to call. I'm gonna have to call Robert Kraft real quick. <laughs> you can't. You can't be doing that. You cannot. The be doing Raiders. That. The Raiders were 11 and five. Uh, the 2012 Ravens were. Let me see. They were ten and six, and then the two thousand and seven Giants. Um, that was ten and six. Okay, 
Imagine going 10-6 for the season and then be like, oh, we're probably going to lose in the playoffs and then win the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, 10-6 ten, ten is is like – that's the usually the cap for like, oh, I'm making it to the Super Bowl like or the playoffs at least. 10-6 and six is like, oh, I'm decent enough to get into the playoffs, but I'm probably not going to win it. That's that's usually the 10-6 and six record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jose. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that, Cheney. We're we're just not. We're just gonna. Yeah, we're gonna move <laughs> on from that. Uh, in in the NFC East, ten and six is usually your best bet to have to make the playoffs. That's usually what we aim for. Uh, yeah, usually, you guys were aiming for like five, and we're hoping we were just hoping also. to get three wins. Honestly, the I, I didn't like that one. Nah. No, not, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to I'm about to lose now. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna lose your phone to friend chain. You better be careful. <laughs> All right, here we go. Question number question number eight. You only got three for eight. Is that right? One. Oh no, yeah. I'm pretty sure I got four for eight. Uh no. Um wait, hold on. Let me pull a chain. Hold on. Mm, no. <laughs> no. Uh okay. Question number eight. Who is the only quarterback to throw six touchdown passes in a Super Bowl? Is it Nick Foles, Tom Brady, Doug Williams, or Steve Young? Ruby says Ruby, so I'm going to go with Ruby. What do you think? So Ruby said Ruby. She said me, oh, so I'm going to go with Ruby. A bad answer because it's not one of the options, so I wouldn't pick that. Say it again really quick. I, you know what? Phone a friend. What do you think? So the quarterback to throw six quarter throw six touchdown passes in the Super Bowl. You got Nick Foles, Tom Brady, Doug Williams, or Steve Young. It's either Doug, it's either Doug or Steve Young. I'm going with Steve Young. I'm all right, Steve Young. I mean, who was he throwing to? You gotta think about it. Who was Steve Young throwing to? Uh then he had Jerry Rice. The GOAT, Jerry Rice. And that is the correct answer. Yeah. Steve Young. Steve Young and the San Francisco 49ers. That's what you said? Yeah. Good job, Bree. You got the right answer. <laughs> All right. Next question. question. Number nine. Which city has hosted the most Super Bowls? Pasadena, Miami, Tampa, or New Orleans? Which city has hosted the most Super Bowls? Pasadena, Miami, Tampa, or New Orleans? Phone a friend. What are you thinking? I'm thinking Miami for some reason. But it's either Miami or Tampa. Um, it's one or the other. Go with Miami. Oh, Miami. You also, have, you also have a viewer watching who also agrees that it's Miami. Cheney, your final answer. Is it Miami? It's Miami. Oh, That's correct. That is correct. I, I was literally going to last second. I was going to be like, I'm going to go Tampa. Let's go. You're going to pull an Auburn. I would have been so mad. All right. You were going to pull an Auburn. All right. Here we go. Question number 10. You are currently five for nine. So you're at 55%. You're doing great. Cool. Um, question number 10. Which play-by-play announcer has called the most Super Bowls? Is it Al Michaels? Pat Summerall, Jim Nance, or Dick Enberg? Which really sounds like a made-up name. Gotta admit. <laughs> well, they gotta be that one. I'm kidding. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. You know what? I'm just gonna write around uh, Jim Nance. Uh, you have an agreement in the comments. Jim Nance 
Um, which is, but she has no clue, and that's okay because you're both wrong. That is not the correct answer. Al the Michaels? correct answer. What'd you say, Dwayne? Al Michaels. That is also incorrect. Oh. The correct answer is Pat Summerall. Okay. I don't have any idea who that is, but so I took out the the um. I took out the made-up name. Um, <laughs> it's not made up. That's not it. It's and not. then I picked one. It's wrong. So if I would have gone with what Dwayne said, that would have been wrong, and we had one left. But research to Google Dick Enberg. Just make sure you spell it right, because um, otherwise your search history is going to show things that you probably <laughs> you probably don't want. All right, question number eleven. Um, question number eleven says, "Who was the last player to win the MVP?" And the Super Bowl in the same season. Was it Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Joe Montana, or Kurt Warner? The last player to win MVP and Super Bowl in the same season. Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Montana, or Kurt Warner? Oh, Aaron Rodgers, maybe. I don't know if Peyton Manning won MVP, like Super Bowl 50 or whatever he would. I'm going to go Aaron Rodgers, too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Gronk? <laughs> uh, Chaney, the, the answer to that question is no. Cam Newton won the Super Bowl in Peyton Manning's last Super Bowl when they played. Cam Newton was on the opposite side. He won the MVP. Um, and it is also not uh, Aaron Rodgers. The correct answer is Kurt Warner. I'm thinking that was with his days with the Rams. Not, in, yeah. Not, yeah. Um, I forgot he, right. was, uh, he was like, okay, at best. He was, back in the day. He was, he was good. Very good quarterback. Okay, at best. Yeah, I mean, he led the, the Cardinals to a Super Bowl. So, I mean, anyone that can do that might be okay. Might be a little more than okay. Kurt Cousins 2.0, basically. All right, let's not let's not disrespect Kurt Warner. He's, I'm, he's a Hall of Famer, so let's not get crazy. Kurt Cousins could be too, but here, where look. in what NFL are you talking about? I mean, he puts up the are numbers. We watch, are, we Kirk the Kirk same, are we watching the same? He game? puts up the numbers. He's just Kirk Cousins. Oh, he so Eli Manning. Except Eli Manning's actually won, so that's the difference. See, the thing All is right. that Eli Manning is not like that. He's just but, he's just but, he's only putting numbers because he played for so long. That's, he he that's will it. make the Hall of Fame for sure, no doubt about it. Unfortunately, but he shouldn't be. He's if an average nothing, player. If nothing else, then uh, beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl. He's an twice. average right. player. Doesn't matter. <laughs> the only reason he has so many yards and whatnot, he's up there, is because he's played for so freaking long. I mean, that might be true, but um, hey, you know, I don't care. Question number twelve: Who owns the record for the longest completion in Super Bowl history? Is it Jake Delhomme, John Elway, Jim Plunkett, or Brett Favre? That's that again. Hmm. Ask it again. Who is the who owns the record for the longest completion in Super Bowl history? Jake Delhomme, John Elway, Jim Plunkett, or Brett Favre? Are you thinking Brett Favre like me, Dwayne? Uh, no. What are you thinking? Plunk it. Um, but I'm I'm I don't know. I have no clue about that. I have no clue either. Brett Favre. You've got, 
You've got two comments who are also saying Brett Favre. Uh, Dwayne says Plunkett. The correct answer, as bizarre as this is going to sound, because if you want to talk about an okay at best quarterback, you would mention Jake DeLome in that conversation. But Jake DeLome is the correct answer to that question. I don't even know who that is. He played for Carolina for a long time. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Super Bowl 38. It was his first season in uh, with the Panthers. Um, and let's see. Let's see if I can find it. Why do you say well, – why is it Brett Favre, even though it's, like, spelled Favre? Is that how it's spelled? Because I could not figure out how to spell it's it. Fa- it's spelled Favre, but it's Favre. Like, you know, English, man. You know, we, we do some really great things in English. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, it was an 85-yard touchdown pass to Muslim Muhammad in Super Bowl 38. Oh, my God. He's looking like me. I hope that was a catch and run. I don't know. Nobody. It's not Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I'm sure it was. A, I'm sure it was like a deep, you know, you maybe know, you know 15 yards, and then he just ran. You know what? You know what play it was, Jenny? Double slam. <laughs> <laughs> it was either that or PA crossers. One of the two. That's the only way to score an 85 yard touchdown. The Madden. So it had to. That had to be the play. All right. Question number thirteen, Jenny. You are five for twelve. Not, well, not I, I'll never claim that I knew a lot about Super Bowl, so that's, I don't care. That's true. Football's not necessarily your area of expertise. Here we go. Uh, which is the last team to lead the league in rushing and win the Super Bowl? Hey, Shaylin knows what's up. Here we go. Uh, Philly, Philly, all day. Which is the last team? Huh? <laughs> You're just mad because she has a better score in the trivia than you do. Uh, which is the last team to lead the NFL in rushing and win the Super Bowl? Is it the 2013 Seahawks, the 1985 Bears, the 2005 Steelers, or the 1995 Cowboys? What year was it? Was it Seahawks? 2013. I think that was the same year as the the rush from Marshawn Lynch, but I'm not. I'm not sure. They, had Mar- they did have Marshawn. Repeat the other ones really quick. 2013 Seahawks, the 1985 Bears, the 2005 Steelers, or the 95 Cowboys. What's your guess, Dwayne? I don't know. I'm. I would say Cowboys. Maybe. Go ahead. Guess it. Shailen I want to say the Seahawks too, Shailen. Brianna says the Cowboys. Cowboys? <laughs> Steelers. <laughs> Whoa, going cautious to the wind, going against the grain, what everybody says. And unfortunately, that's wrong. But fortunately, fortunately, everyone else was also wrong. The correct answer was the 1985 Bears. What? Who do they have? Who was rushing like that? I'm about to tell you right now. Uh, The 1985 Bears. Uh, let's see. When they had they have Christian McCaffrey? They might have. <laughs> they had Saquon Barkley somehow. <laughs> rushing. Let's see. Passing. Let me see. Rushing. They had Walter Payton. That explains ah, everything you need to know right there. Walter Payton, Matt Suhe. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. And Jim McMahon. Yeah. Ah, the Bears. Gotta love. Whatever, Dick bro. Cop. Whatever. All right. 
Question number 14. Here we go. Which Super Bowl generated the most combined points? Um, Super Bowl 27, which was the Cowboys versus Bills. Super Bowl 37, which was the Buccaneers versus the Raiders. Super Bowl 52, which was the Patriots and the Eagles. Or Super Bowl 29, which was the 49ers and Chargers. You got this. I mean, Patriots and Eagles is like 50-something points. I don't don't remember the other scores. It was like 50 points each. That was a high-scoring game. Uh, even though even though the time's gonna run out, can you repeat the things? I I forgot I, which one. I will do that. Super Bowl twenty seven, which is the Cowboys versus the Bills. Super Bowl thirty seven, which is the Buccaneers and the Raiders. Super Bowl fifty two, Patriots and Eagles, or Super Bowl twenty nine, which is the Forty ers and Chargers. I'll say Patriots and Eagles. Nice thought, but unfortunately, that is incorrect. They did score a lot. They did. They did score a lot of points. Brianna Cooper, yes, Super Bowl 29, 49ers and Chargers was an option. And yes, it was the correct answer. Well, what was the combined amount? You're making me do too much research, Gene. I mean, I want to know. If if you have these questions, you should know the answer. Super Bowl 29. Um, the combined score, the, the Chargers had 26, the Niners had 49, which was a combined score of uh, 75 points. I was close. I was just guessing. <laughs> 75. You were close. Very close. Uh, Super Bowl 52 was a final score of, let's see. 41 to 33, which was 74 points. So it was only a three-point difference. Damn. It's pretty Damn. high point. All right. The 15th and final question. Uh, who is it's still the not as bad as the, uh, as the McDonald's episode. Still, you've done better than the fast food episode for sure. We can never, as long as you beat that, that is the bottom. You didn't make average, which is ten, but you you passed the bottom score ever. That was that was a rough game, a rough episode. Uh, question number fifteen, Jane. Who is the only player to rush for two hundred yards in a Super Bowl? Is it Marcus Allen, John Riggins, Timmy Smith, or Franco Harris? What you thinking, Dwayne? Some great runners there, so I don't know. Um, Franco Harris sounds like a dangerous name. I don't know. Uh, he, he, he was, was great. a bad man. He was great. Um, Marcus Allen also. So it's hard. You want any meat money, Mo? What you thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, go with B or C. So B or C would be John Riggins or Timmy Smith. I'm leaning on Riggins too. I mean, another great bat. I'm gonna any meat money, Mo. You doing great? Uh huh. Yep. Thirty seconds is up. Just I don't know if you saw the. You said C, which was Timmy Smith. Uh, Mini Mini Mo might have been the strategy. You should have gone with the entire episode because that is the answer. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is the correct answer. Congratulations, Brianna Cooper, for jumping in there with the correct answer. Also, um, yeah, that is. That's I'm pretty it. sure I tried like the sec- my second worst, <laughs> but maybe at the maybe at the end the uh, at the end of the year we can we can rank the worst to best. best. Worst. Episodes, we, we should go back and do that. That'd be great. Uh, so again, uh, your final score for the for the you think you know the Super Bowl or Super Bowl history is six out of 15. Not the best, but certainly not the worst. Uh, so thank you again to our guest, Dwayne Graves, for joining us on the show today. You were a great lifeline for Cheney, even if neither one of you probably would have scored very high on that. I think our commenters scored better than both of you combined. Uh, <laughs> But there it was, was a good like nine, ten. Certainly, most definitely. Uh, so thank you, Dwayne, so much for joining us and for joining us in, in the You Think You Know All the Fun also. Uh, we appreciate you. We thank you. Um, hopefully we can have you back. Maybe we'll have you on for yourself and see how well you can do in a trivia game. Uh, but if not, we understand. You know, we, we can't get everybody. So uh, uh, we appreciate you. We thank you. And to the audience who has joined us for the live today, thank you so much. Uh, we, we are hoping, Chain and I are hoping to go live every week. Um, so we love even this feedback and you think you know it's been a lot of fun too. So we appreciate the audience for joining in and for watching with us. So we thank you. We love you. Uh, find this this podcast on Facebook as well as YouTube at Afro Latinos. Make sure you like and subscribe and drop a comment and let us know what your thoughts and how we're doing. It has been your co-host, Aubin. And Chandler. And thank you, Dwayne, for coming. We appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Everybody, have a good day.